Welcome to Come Follow Me with Brie, episode 115, Fear Not, the Lord Will Do Great Things. Hello, I'm so glad you're here. Didn't you guys just love last week? I loved the story that I talked about in our last episode, but I honestly, like on Sunday, I didn't end up having time, but I got so excited about all of the other stories too, like Daniel in the lion's den, that I almost wanted to do an impromptu Uh, episode really quickly and just wing it because I just got so excited about that story in particular, but really all the stories that are in there are just so great. So I love the weeks when I just get really excited about what we're learning about and the inspiring figures in the Old Testament that I feel like until this year of really studying it and getting to know them better, I, I don't think I really knew And felt connected to those heroes in those stories. So I'm so grateful for last week and getting to know Daniel better. Okay, this week we are reading Hosea and Joel, which is the beginning of what is referred to as the books of the minor prophets. Now, this doesn't mean that they were less important. It just means that we know less about them and we have less written by them. In this episode, we aren't going to be delving too much into Hosea, but just to give you a little bit, Hosea was a prophet that lived about 100 years after Elijah and Elisha. If you remember, Elijah is the one who called down fire from heaven and then went out into the wilderness and ended up coming back out of the wilderness after being super depressed. And he called Elisha as the next prophet and trained him and then went up to heaven in a chariot of fire. So that Elijah, the prophet, this prophet Hosea lived a hundred years after that. And we believe that the end of the book of Hosea is about the end of the Northern kingdom before they're conquered by the Assyrians. Come follow me has a study chapters 1 through 6 and 10 through 14. And the chapters that we skip are a lot of doom and gloom about the destruction of the northern kingdom and a little bit about the destruction of Judah, saying that they need to repent too. Hosea is known as the compassionate prophet because he talks a lot about Israel turning away and being unfaithful to the Lord and that the Lord will always forgive as Israel turns back to him, as we turn back to him. Okay, so Joel. We don't know a whole lot about Joel. We know that he was in the southern kingdom or in the kingdom of Judah and that he was there during a locust plague and his prophecies focus primarily on the second coming. But we really don't know when exactly he lived. But it really doesn't matter too much because most of his prophecies are are concerning the future. And he's really relevant to us because he's talking mostly about our time. And lots of what he has to say is really cool. And that is what we are going to talk about. In the second chapter of Joel, he gives us a pretty descriptive account of the Battle of Armageddon. What is the Battle of Armageddon? We learn a lot here in Joel chapter 2, but we are given a more complete picture in Zechariah chapters 12 through 14. So I'm going to give you a timeline of what will happen based on these chapters in Joel and the chapters in Zechariah, even though we're not really talking about Zechariah this week and come follow me. Joel starts out talking about the latter days and that many nations of the earth will combine to attack Israel in their land in a great war, Armageddon, that will exceed the scale and severity of any wars that have ever been fought. And this great army will devour everything in its path, leaving desolation behind them. Won't it be interesting to watch which nations end up being the ones that fight against the Jews? I think we are given a lot of of clues and 
and prophecy about that in the scriptures. And honestly, I'm not enough of a scriptorian to be able to tell you exactly what nations, historical nations that are now called different names will be engaged in that war. And I think we also just don't know entirely who will be involved in fighting against Jerusalem in Israel and who will be on the side of Israel. This great army will devour everything in its path, leaving desolation behind them. And as the people who are aligned with the Jews watch what is about to happen, and the Jews themselves, it says their faces will turn pale. The armies gathered against Jerusalem will be mighty and united and well-coordinated. Weapons against them will be ineffective. They will be so mighty that the earth will quake, the heavens shall tremble, and the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Now. All of those heavenly signs, I don't know exactly what that means or how that happens, but that sounds pretty terrifying, right? Can you believe that it's possible that this will be an event that we could watch unfold in real time? Of course, we don't know when exactly this will happen, but the closer we get to the Lord's coming, the more likely it becomes. And I think as we watch world events unfold, we all can't help but think that perhaps the time is drawing even nearer than we thought. But as we read these things, I want you to think about how wonderfully merciful it is that the Lord is telling us these things. I think I used to kind of avoid these scary chapters, but it's really merciful. It's He is telling us exactly what this will look like, how fierce and unyielding this great army of the earth will be, seemingly unbeatable. But because we have this information, this prophecy, we do not need to fear. We will watch it be fulfilled and know what is happening. We can put our faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ and have confidence that everything will turn out exactly as he describes. All right, now I want to go to chapter 2 of Joel, verse 11. It says, And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Okay, so what does that mean? That is talking about when the Lord appears on the Mount of Olives. Let's read in Zechariah in a little bit more detail about exactly what that will look like, and it'll give us a little bit more clarity on what that verse means. Let's start in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2, right before the Lord comes to save his people in Jerusalem. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye, meaning the Jews, shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the day of Uzziah the king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. Okay, so half the city will be taken, invaded, women defiled, and taken captive. Sounds pretty hopeless. And it's at this point that the Lord will come to save his people. He will descend upon the Mount of Olives, it will split in two, and the remnants of those who are left will flee into the valley that it creates. 
We go back to chapter 12 in Zechariah to find out what happens after they're saved by the Lord. Verse 9, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, and I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be great mourning in Jerusalem. So what does that mean? The Jews who flee into the valley that the Savior creates as the Mount of Olives split in two, they will look upon his wounds and they will realize that Jesus is the Christ and they will mourn that their fathers killed him and that they have rejected him all these thousands of years. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, it says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. This realization and repentance will gather the Jews together as part of his chosen people. It just crossed my mind what a beautiful love story that is with the kingdom of Judah. In Hosea chapter 1 and 2, the book that we are studying this week but we're not really talking about, he gives us an analogy about Israel's relationship with Christ being like a marriage covenant. Hosea talks about his bride being a harlot, going after her own lusts and short-sighted pleasure, cheating on him, looking for a more satisfying reward with others. And then he speaks about beckoning her back once she realizes that she can't be satisfied with this filthy lifestyle, and he forgives her and welcomes her back. As I read that part of Hosea, it made me think about it in the terms of the Jewish people and the battle of Armageddon and the splitting of the Mount of Olives and him showing them his hands and his feet. In Hosea chapter 2 verse 23 it says, "I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy, and I will say unto them which were not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say thou art my God." The tribe of Judah is like that that unfaithful bride that Hosea talks about. The house of Israel, the house of Judah, made a covenant with the Lord to be his covenant people and to be faithful to him. But as we know throughout history, that has not actually happened. They didn't acknowledge that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world. But he will forgive them and welcome them back as part of his covenant people. He will regather Israel. Listen to that verse in Hosea again, Hosea 2.23. I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. When I started this podcast, I included a tagline that said, For the love. This whole story of really the whole human family is a love story between Christ and his bride, Christ and the church. We've all been unfaithful to him sometimes. But isn't it comforting that, as Hosea reminds us, the Lord's compassion is so accessible. He says to them and to us, I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy, and I will say to them, which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. After talking about what will happen in the Battle of Armageddon, Joel goes on to talk about what will happen after, how the Lord will bless the land and protect them and they will no longer be scorned by all the nations. 
And then, not in chronological order, we get a prophecy about the last days that Gordon B. Hinckley has told us is fulfilled. I'll quote him. He says, The era in which we live is the fullness of time spoken of in the scriptures, when God has brought together all of the elements of previous dispensations. From the day that he and his beloved son manifested themselves to the boy Joseph, there has been a tremendous cascade of enlightenment poured out upon the world. The hearts of men have turned to their fathers in fulfillment of the words of Malachi. The vision of Joel has been fulfilled, wherein he declared, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will shew wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So there's a few prophecies in there. He will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Old men shall dream. Young men shall see visions, wonders in the heavens, earth, blood, fire, and pillars of smoke. Sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. And last, but certainly not least, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. In other words, Zion, the church, is here to answer the call of anyone who cries to the Lord. Guys, the Lord loves us. And by by us, I don't mean just people in the church. I mean that the Lord loves all those who have ever been born and ever will be. The Lord wants everyone to accept him. He will give everyone the chance to accept him, to be willing to keep his commandments. But that's the key. We have to be willing, even though he wants everyone to come back to him in a way that enables them to achieve their full potential. He knows that our agency is necessary in order for that potential to be achieved. Because of that, not everyone will choose him. But as he gathers as many as are willing, it is our job to trust him. He knows what he's doing. Some of these chapters feel scary. The world feels scary right now. In Joel chapter 2, verse 21, it says, Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. The Lord will do great things. Do you believe that? Sometimes I think our fear of not knowing, not understanding completely what's going on right now overshadows our faith in him. And sometimes when I feel that way, I remember what someone once said to Christ while he was on the earth, help thou mine unbelief. When the Lord tells me to fear not and to trust in him, sometimes that feels like a big ask as I watch things in the world crumble around me. Oh Lord, help thou mine unbelief. He will make up the difference if you rely on him. If you live worthy of the spirit, he will help you be able to truly fulfill that command to fear not. And not just fear not, but be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. We are so lucky and privileged to be alive right now. You are meant to be here. Your children are meant to be here. I don't wish it away. 
I want to be here right now to watch what is happening with the Lord's work. Not because I want to see terrible things happen, but I want and believe that great things will happen because the Lord has told us that they will. President Unkdorf said, God has revealed and will continue to reveal his almighty hand. The day will come when we will look back and know that during this time of adversity, God was helping us find better ways, his ways to build his kingdom on a firm foundation. I bear my witness that this is God's work, and he will continue to do many unimaginable things among his children, his people. God holds us in the palm of his caring and compassionate hands. I testify that President Russell M. Nelson is God's prophet for our day. As an apostle of the Lord, I invite you and bless you to cheerfully do all things that lie in your power, and then may you stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. And I promise that the Lord will cause unimaginable things to come from your righteous labors. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.